This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni. And I'm Tefra Jemian. And you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. This week, it is uh, the week of American Thanksgiving, so we are talking all about the turkey. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, 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 gobble. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble, gobble. But before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaka First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. Uh, obviously, you know... <laughs> Thanksgiving being what it is, uh, it is real hard for us to talk about turkey, to talk turkey, to talk Thanksgiving, uh, be it Canadian or American, without acknowledging the uh, atrocities that both of our respective governments have done to the indigenous people of these lands. Um, So, you know... Maybe in your Thanksgiving celebrations this week, you can uh, take a minute to talk with your family and friends about that. Uh, Talk about, you know, the realities of that and talk about various ways that you can make reparations in the present day. Now, on that note, Tom, Mm. we're talking about Turkey. And a lot of the time when we talk about food, we start with colonial history. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that while I listened to our our coffee episode, that we spent a lot of time talking about the European colonialism aspect of coffee. And we didn't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on it pre-colonial, like when it was when it was spreading uh, in its region. And. Um, the thing with Turkey, like I, I know we talk about it about Thanksgiving and it's very rooted in colonialism because the, the fact that Turkey is considered American, mm-hmm. right? The fact that Turkey is the symbol of Thanksgiving is a very visible representation of how American culture is built in many ways on indigenous cultures that are not acknowledged. But Turkey has been domesticated in Central and North America, what we consider Central and North America, for millennia. Uh, The history of Turkey as a food item begins with indigenous cultures. Um, Turkeys have been uh, 
domesticated and farmed in the southeastern United States and Central America for millennia. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really important to make sure that our story starts there, Mm -hmm. that we don't start with the European circulation of turkeys or the adoption of turkeys by European colonizers, but that we acknowledge that that turkey meat has been consumed, turkeys have been farmed, their bones have been used for uh, tools, um, their feathers have been used for fashion uh, for literally thousands of years yeah absolutely yeah and that's interesting like um i find that interesting because even the words that we use for turkey in both english and french are not words that are inherent uh, are not words that are indigenous to north america or central america they are names of countries in you know <laughs> not too far from europe frankly uh obviously turkey being the english name and turkey also being you know a country <laughs> and in french we call the turkey dained as in of india <laughs> it is it is uh i mean that one to me makes sense if the french explorers coming to north america thought they were coming to india and saw a turkey and said well that's kind of like a chicken of india we'll call it of india but yeah that just the fact that like the, this bird is one that we call by names that are not at all related to the place that the bird exists. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. I mean, it's really, this is like why I wanted to start off with this, because there has been a very thorough PR campaign on this bird. <laughs> well, and that's why the president pardons it every year. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that. But uh, I, I do find it, it's, I mean, oh God, not to get super dark right from the beginning, but like, this bird is a very good symbol of genocide yeah. and what genocide does, right? Yeah. This this animal that's been part of the indigenous culture for thousands and thousands of years is suddenly like Uncle Sam's good buddy yep. and is named Turkey or of India. It's uh, it's it's really interesting. Yeah. I might just be making this up completely, but I actually think the fact that it's called Turkey in English, I think it has to do with how turkeys look fancy and Turkish uh, mm. clothing is kind of fancy similarly. Sure. Like, I'm pretty sure I read that. I, I'll i have to look that up and see, but that's that's what I think. I would believe that. I read at some point that they were like, oh, these turkeys have little red hats. You know who else wears a little oh red hat? <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't just call it a fez chicken because that would be offensive. Prob- like, come on. They probably didn't Someone know what it was called. Someone probably called it a fez chicken. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, it's okay, I think, for us to get dark toward the beginning of this episode because when it comes to turkey, we have to either get dark or white. And we're already white, so we might as well also get dark. That's a meat joke. Yeah, do you prefer light or dark meat? <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking about that um, coming into this. Uh, I think that I maybe actually prefer white meat from the from the turkey as opposed to the dark meat, but I'm not sure why, because it's kind of drier usually, but I think maybe it's a little more adaptable. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I do generally. I mean, I'll talk about my feelings about poultry. I have complicated feelings about, about poultry and eating it, um, not ethical ones, just just aesthetic ones. Aesthetic ones, uh, sure. But I like white meat. Traditionally, I'm always a white meat eater until recently when I've started getting into thighs. Mm. And we use thighs a lot because they're cheap and versatile. But that's the thing. I think with chicken, I'm a thigh person. With turkey, I'm a breast person. Well, that's because you're bisexual. 
Yeah, fair enough. I have to make a correction because I did a little research. Okay. Uh, that story about why turkeys are called turkeys is completely made up. Okay. That, that was an invention of my mind. I wish it was true. Oh. Uh, it is actually because Turks traded fowl with European wildfowl, with okay. European trade routes. So they would call the wildfowl turkey cock. Okay. And when they got to North America and saw similar wild fowl. It was more like guinea fowl, but sure. guinea fowl kind of looked like smaller, fancier turkeys. Right. Um, so they started calling them turkey cocks, which got shortened to turkey. I think it's maybe for the best that it got shortened to turkey kind of gradually. I don't know that we could have a bird called turkey cock and get away with it. I think turkeys have cloaca, though. Probably. I think that's what turkeys are like. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually wanted to talk about how to differentiate a male turkey from a female turkey. So we're literally talking about turkey cocks. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's that's the thing. You're not incorrect that turkeys have cloacas. Um, and one of the key ways to tell a male turkey apart from a female turkey is by looking at the shape of their poops. Uh, so, you know, when you think about like a cow poop or like the poop emoji, it's like a spiral, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a female turkey or a hen will have a spiral-shaped poop like that. Um, although it's, you know, the texture and color that avian poop tends to be as yeah. opposed to a big brown turd. It's kind of whitish, right? Yeah. Um, love that we're getting into this on a food podcast. I'm so surprised. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm shocked. Uh, the male turkey, uh, on the other hand, uh, do you know the word for the male turkey? Do you know what those are called? Aren't they turkey cocks? They're toms. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, they've got their own toothpaste and shoe line and also um, named after them. Yeah. Um, so a tom will poop more of a J-shaped log. <laughs> uh, so if you ever meet a turkey and want to know what kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> what its gender identity is, I guess. Ask uh, it. Take a look at its poop. <laughs> tom. Yeah. It's 2021. You got to ask the turkey. You ask the turkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what is a group of turkeys called? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Do I think you know? it's called a gaggle, but now I'm... That sounds right to me, a gaggle of turkeys. Or is that a gaggle of ducks? Gaggle of geese? Uh, no, it's a gaggle of geese. So what's a turkey? A gobble? Is it a gobble of turkeys? Collective noun. For turkeys. Okay, it's a flock of turkeys. That's a little bit of a letdown. I'm not going to lie. Uh -huh. I disagree. It's a gobble of turkeys, yeah. and that's what we're calling it. That's it. It's a gobble of turkeys. <laughs> um, Have you ever met a turkey close up? Uh, You know, I don't think I have. Have you? Oh, I have met turkeys. Tell me all about the turkeys you've met. Well, first of all, when I went on a cross-country road trip when I was five, we met some very nice wild turkeys out on the prairies somewhere. There are wild turkeys everywhere on the prairies. Right. And they're they're big. And so turkeys are dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Turkeys are the dinosaurs. Like, if you have ever seen, um, there were some scientists who put, like, toilet plungers <laughs> on turkeys' butts to... Uh, find out what gender they are <laughs> um to act like little t-rex tails okay and they put like little fake t-rex tails on their butts and they uh immediately started walking like t-rexes i highly recommend looking this up i love how birds are dinosaurs and dinosaurs are birds that's very uh, good so if you ever wanted to know what a t-rex was like close up uh, imagine that a turkey was much bigger did t-rexes also have waddles and um the top part that's well that's soft tissue so we don't know mm. because uh i mean i guess we could in fossils i don't know i'm not a paleontologist what you're fired <laughs> um so anyway met some wild turkeys close up they mm -hmm. had babies mm -hmm. so it was like a turkey mama turkey papa 
turkey to turkey parents let's say as long as we're talking about turkey genders sure. with yeah, all yeah. their little um turkey babies who are very cute and very fluffy and they let us get like surprisingly close mm-hmm. my sister and i were trying to you know pick up the babies and my dad was going please no i do not mm-hmm. want you to get killed by a turkey so that's like my first significant turkey experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew a lot of poultry farmers. A lot of I knew a handful of po- poultry farmers. Like sure. I grew up in the country until I was eight. There people had poultry. Of course. Uh, but the other significant turkey experience, which is also the name of my band, mm-hmm. uh, was that. So I went to this private school in Boston in the, um, a neighborhood called Hyde Park, which for people who know Boston is kind of near uh, JP and. Um, Dorchester. And it's sort of a a, a residential neighborhood. And there were there was a family of turkeys who lived in the neighborhood. Oh, Uh, there may be a couple of families of turkeys who lived in the neighborhood, but just wild turkeys. And they would just come hang out. They were just like they would just come hang out on campus. They'd bring their babies around. (laughs) They'd like go into people's backyards and eat stuff. But turkeys are big like i don't know if you've been close up enough to a turkey to know how big those birds are i haven't been close up enough to an alive turkey to know how big <laughs> they are you're a butcher. but i'm a butcher so <laughs> i'm familiar but then when they have their heads and their feet and their feathers right and their their big feathery tails i mean a, a turkey is like a peacock you like, know what i drove past one once yeah. actually so i have seen one in okay. real life out a car yeah. window yeah yeah yeah. They're real big. They're real big. They're real pretty. Like, they're mm-hmm. very striking birds. Yeah. Um, a lot of the turkeys, now the turkeys that we see in the turkey pardon and stuff are domesticated white varieties that have been bred to have, like, big breasts mm-hmm. and, like, um, meaty thighs. <laughs> this is an uncomfortable topic. <laughs> Look, guys, let's just say it right out the gate. Turkeys is sexy, all right? <laughs> and we're here today to celebrate the joy of food. And sometimes your food is sexy before you eat it. And with turkeys, that's maybe one of the sexy bird. All right. Do you do you call the bird the avian version of a furry a feathery? I don't like it, but I think you do. <laughs> anyway, turkeys—they're nice. I like poultry. I Me like too. birds. Like one day in my life, I hope to have a number of birds, mm-hmm. um, like poultry birds. Yeah. Uh, and I turkeys. think it'd be fun to have chickens. You know, backyard chickens. I love or, chickens. Or, I want to. I will the minute that we live somewhere where you are allowed to have backyard chickens, we're mm-hmm. gonna have backyard chickens. Yeah, works yeah. for me. Yeah. Um but I also really like like guinea fowl and turkeys and the wilder mm-hmm. um fowl. And turkeys are nice. But you know what? We've been talking about them when they're alive, but this is a food podcast. <laughs> so is. I think we'd better talk about killing those turkeys. Let's talk about killing turkeys. All right. So obviously I'm a butcher. This has been established. Um, let's talk about butchering a turkey. Uh, so obviously, you guys, uh, American Thanksgiving is four days away or three days away, or maybe it's today, depending on when you're listening to this episode. I don't control that. Um, it's this week. Uh, you probably you're cooking a turkey this week. Most of the time, you're going to be roasting turkey in the oven. But when you roast a turkey in the oven, it takes a ridiculously long time. It's something like half an hour per pound. The the lightest turkeys that we sell where I work tend to be like 12 pound turkeys. So you're still looking at a six hour cook time. It's ridiculous. It's not sustainable. It doesn't cook the meat evenly. Don't roast your turkey. Stop roasting your turkeys. Find a better way to do it. In the southern United States for like over 10 years now, probably even longer, but like it's been a fad for like over 10 years. People have been deep frying them. 
I don't recommend this unless you have a massive fryer, <laughs> um, like like restaurant-sized fryer, uh, just because, you know, that much hot oil, there are risks involved. But if you can get hooked up with a, you know, deep-fried turkey, I would suggest it. Uh, if you do have a massive fryer, you can cook the entire bird in under half an hour and it stays juicy. Uh, so that's rad. Um, but there is another way to cook a whole turkey all at once that we did a couple of years ago. And I think, Teffer, maybe can you, like, share a little insight into how that all went down? Yes. I mean, you said we, but I think, as I remember it... It was you. It, it was me. Yeah. Um, and it was... So, I, I, I mentioned before that I have a kind of complicated, like, relationship with fowl mm-hmm. and eating it, which is that I, I, I think it's really good. I like poultry meat. Uh, it's not my, like, top meat. It's not what I always go for, but it's cheap. It's It's easy to produce sustainably. But the thing with eating a small-ish animal is that you're just so aware that it is an animal. Mm-hmm. And like when you're eating a whole roast turkey or a whole roast bird, there's, you know, there's so much you run into. You run into little bones. Yep. You run into little blood vessels. You run into little, little stringy bits and little jellies. And mm-hmm. uh, if you don't get the skin just right, it's real flabby and unpleasant. Um, it's just like it's it's because there's so many different kinds of tissue, it is hard to cook a whole bird in a way that is appealing through and through. (laughs) Um, That's a diplomatic way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It has a lot of little gross bits. Whereas if you have, if you're eating a pig or a, or a, or a, or a cow, Mm -hmm. usually you are dealing with just a piece of muscle. It's pretty consistent all the way through. It's not that hard to just cook it. Yeah. Roasting a whole animal is a totally different beast. Mm -hmm. But I also really like that, like, autumn festival food. Mm -hmm. Like, I like having a roast bird and a bunch of roast veggies and mashed potatoes and cranberries and gravy. Like, I love that. When I was pregnant with Toby, this was, like, one of my (laughs) most common cravings was that I would crave, like, a full Christmas dinner and I would make, like, I would, like, roast chicken and make cranberry sauce and stuff just during the day. Yeah. Just to eat for lunch. So, we were having a big Friendsgiving. This was Thanksgiving 2019. <laughs> Simpler times. Rip. And uh, we had a few friends over. I was in grad school, so I had some classmates who, like, couldn't get home mm-hmm. over. Um, I think that was the last year. Like, it wasn't just the last year that we had a Thanksgiving meal with people here. It's also the last year that we, like, observed Thanksgiving at all before we pivoted to, like, maybe we will celebrate Maybon instead. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I was going to make a whole turkey, damn it. And uh, I think it was at Samin Nasrat's recommendation Mm -hmm. because she is my spiritual big sister who I follow in all things Mm -hmm. and I was really into salt fat acid heat that was the year you had bought me salt fat acid heat as a present yeah so I spatchcocked it yeah uh spatchcocking is a great technique if you have not a ton of time if you have a a smallish oven that like a tall turkey can't fit in uh or if you just simply like to eat juicy evenly cooked poultry (laughs) rather than overcooked breast and undercooked legs yeah so what spatchcocking is is you cut the spine out of the bird uh now if you are getting your bird from a butcher you can ask them to spatchcock it for you highly recommend this having hacked (laughs) the spine out of a turkey with a pair of kitchen shears um highly recommend just getting them to you know tom to do it on the industrial equipment for you instead Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well i won't do it phil will do it okay okay yeah um so spatchcocking 
just unrolls the bird into a flat sheet instead of instead of a roll. Yeah. Uh, so normally a body is a roll that there's a tube through. And no, no, keep going. <laughs> well, like, think about it. That's what bodies functionally are, right? Sure. We're digestive tracts with meat around them. Um, yeah. So, so when you spatchcock the bird, you take the spine out, you open up that tube, and you lay it flat, mm-hmm. and then it cooks evenly. Yeah. Now, but Teffer... We have to stuff the bird. It's important to stuff the bird. Let me tell you something, mm-hmm. kiddo. You put that stuffing down as a bed mm-hmm. in the pan. You unroll that bird tube on top <laughs> of it. And all the meat juices are still going to get in the stuffing, mm-hmm. but your bird's going to cook a lot better. I also brined it. I brined it for, I think, 24 hours in a big stock pot um, with a bunch of herbs, salt and sugar. Uh, highly recommend brining turkey. I'm mm-hmm. brining, wet brining is a controversial topic. Sure. Uh, a lot of the time, especially with smaller, delicate birds, it kind of gets, it almost gets too juicy. It gets a little too watery sure, and you can yeah. dilute that flavor a little bit much. But when it's a big bird like a turkey or a big bird, uh, I think <laughs> I think it's worth doing the, the 24-hour brine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was the best turkey I've ever made. It was fantastic. That I Oh, maybe, you know what? I think I even buttermilk brined it maybe, in the that Church of right. Samin. Yeah. Um, buttermilk brine your poultry folks mm-hmm, buttermilk mm-hmm. brine your poultry absolutely anyway it was delicious wow yeah. so tom 20 minutes ago you asked me about the method of cooking <laughs> this turkey and uh that's what it was yeah spatchcocking <laughs> look it up if you feel adventurous and want to do it yourself do it yourself if you don't feel adventurous ask your butcher to do it for you they will um the other way that i would recommend and now this is maybe a little bit um much more complicated, in fact. Uh, but if you feel confident in your ability to cut up a bird, if you feel confident in your ability to, you know, identify the different pieces of your turkey, so like knowing where the wings are, knowing where the legs are, knowing where the breast is, if that all is pretty like solid for you, like it's not your first year making a turkey, you've carved a turkey before once it's cooked, and you want to reduce the amount of cooking time that you're going to have and have a lot more control over how each piece of the bird is cooked there is the option of cutting it into pieces, right? You can pre-butcher your entire turkey, separate it all, have it all ready so that you can just cook the leg, cook the wings, cook the breast, cook it all separate. And uh, (laughs) if you want, once it's all cooked, you can put it back together on the table and then people can just pull a piece off, right? Like there's nothing stopping you from doing that. So if this idea of butchering your turkey is exciting to you, uh, I'm going to link in the description of this episode uh, a video by the YouTube channel Chef Steps that shows the whole process like step by step um really good uh having watched it i can confirm like yes this is how we would do it at the store um but basically as a rule of thumb anytime that you're like butchering a turkey or a chicken the things you want to think about are i mean you know how an animal's arms and legs move Right. I mean, you know how arms and legs move in people, at least. <laughs> Maybe is, you've never seen one move in an animal. This is getting gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> Look, this is just how meat is, right? Like, <laughs> this is the reality of meat, right? Yeah. When you are cooking meat, you are cooking something that was alive once. So let's take the turkey leg, for example. Um, you can picture how a leg moves. You can picture how, you know, your knees, for instance, bend, right? With a turkey leg, you have two pieces. There's the thigh and there's the drumstick. The whole thing is the leg. If you've got them separate, one's a drumstick, one's a thigh. Once you have found where the thigh or where the whole leg starts, where the thigh separates from the rest of the body, 
separating the thigh from the drumstick is as simple as thinking of where it bends, right? Because you you know that the thigh is like a stationary piece and the leg is the piece that moves. So however, you know, if you grab the leg and move it, right, in a way that like, oh, this feels natural, this feels like how it moves, that's where the joint's going to be. Mm-hmm. And cutting through the joint is a lot easier than cutting through the bone mm-hmm. because the joint is like cartilage and space <laughs> and the bone is a bone. Um, the other way to kind of gauge where that cut is going to be most simple and most natural is to look even through the skin you can see this a lot of the time there's like a slight textural change that's like visible in the kind of meat that is in each one of them which makes sense because it's a different like and i'll get into this in a second but like the the makeup of the muscle is different uh and you can kind of see like roughly where the meat changes but it's more of a gradient so it's not as clear a line as like where the joint is but if you think about the joint and you think about that line usually you can then just take your knife and go shrunk and you'll be right you can also if you like wiggle i mean i'm a home cook not a not a butcher but i've 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 broken down chicken legs in my time Mm -hmm. if you just wiggle the knife a little bit if you're trying to find it you can usually find that little space and then just thunk it down caveat as always safety caveat folks if you are doing this at home make sure you have big sharp knives Mm -hmm. you do not want to do this with a small knife you do not want to do this with a blunt knife Mm -hmm. if you are unsure about the quality of your knives just don't do it (laughs) um because it is so easy to cut yourself a real good one if you don't have the the right tools for the job so if you don't have a good sharp chef's knife a put that on your holiday Mm -hmm. gift list Mm -hmm. and uh, just do something nice for yourself you deserve it just ask your butcher butcher. (laughs) to break it down for you because they have the tools uh you do not want to spend your holiday in the er yeah Yeah, uh, holidays are very high times for the er's and they are already overcrowded (laughs) yeah exactly um so that's it i wouldn't necessarily recommend trying to fully butcher your turkey yourself unless you're feeling really adventurous and confident about it i i'm gonna scratch adventurous and say confident (laughs) yeah yeah don't don't get adventurous with your little paring knife on the turkey god don't use a paring knife to butcher a turkey please 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 you don't even need like a cleaver you just need like a good size knife you know you do you just need a good a good hack and slice knife if you have yeah. one good quality chef's knife mm-hmm. like it's nice to also have one good quality pairing knife but really if you have one nice thick good quality chef's knife that is all you need yep all you need truly yeah. truly so i alluded to this before in looking at light meat versus dark meat in looking at how to cut up the different parts of your bird do you know tougher what makes the meat white or dark in a turkey do you, do you know like the it's, sort of chemical or whatever behind it's a that? protein it's a certain protein uh and i do not remember the name of it but there's a, a given protein that um is more prominent in the skeletal movement muscles that's it yeah, yeah. so so that protein is called myoglobin there we go uh, and basically the higher the concentration of myoglobin in a muscle the darker the meat is going to be um there's all kinds of things that contribute to that but the main thing is how much the muscle gets used so Thinking about a turkey, right? Um, the legs are dark meat, uh, and the legs have a lot of myoglobin, which is what makes them dark meat. The reason for that is because turkeys use their legs a lot, right? They don't really use their chests for much, but they're constantly on their legs going bobbity bobbity bop all around. And that's why their legs are dark meat, and the breast is not. Mm-hmm. If you were looking at, you know, something it's tricky with with birds because like chickens don't really fly either so their breasts are also white meat there's really i don't think any bird whose breast is dark meat maybe ducks but does this mean so like a bird 
the more a bird flies the more likely it is to have more dark meat. Exactly. Which is why things like like ducks and pigeons are darker meat. Exactly. There That's we it. go. Uh, and so we call those fast twitch versus slow twitch muscles. So a fast twitch muscle is a muscle that does a shitload of work and a slow twitch, or no, other way around. A fast twitch is one that does very little work and a slow twitch is one that does a lot of work. So Tom, theoretically, yeah. if a turkey was a bodybuilder, yeah. if we had a turkey who was a competitive bodybuilder, yeah. That that turkey would have darker breast meat, probably, if he worked his pecs. Possibly, but adequate. But here's the thing: not necessarily, right? Because there's different qualities of muscle, right? Mm. It would have probably like denser muscle, but it wouldn't necessarily have slower twitch muscles. Okay. Um, this is a weird way to put it. Um, think about a, a runner, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who walks around all day. Uh, is going to have darker meat in their legs, right? If they're, like, let's say you just have, say, an hour commute to get to work and you choose to take it by foot every single day and you walk back and forth, you're going to have darker twitch, or (laughs) slower twitch, dark meat leg muscles than somebody who, say, what they do is power lift, yeah. Like 300 pounds every time they go to the gym, they just lift it all at once and they're like, oh, I'm so strong. Like their breast meat is not actually going to be a slow twitch muscle. So it's habitual movement. It's habitual. Okay. It's it's more about like, I think of it less as muscle use and more about muscle strain even. Okay. Where it's like the more like, yeah, the more regular it is, the denser it's going to become. Right. Certainly like a bodybuilder's you know, chest muscles are going to be considerably stronger and darker than my chest muscles are going to be. But it's not going to be nearly the same as their leg muscles, right. for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, on a, you know, nutritional level, um, don't believe anyone who tells you that one kind of meat is healthier for you than another in terms of like light versus dark. Uh, it's not. Yeah. They each have their benefits. They each have their downsides. Eat the one you find tastier. If you don't like eating bones, go for the breast meat it's the safest option for that uh if you do like picking up a piece of meat with your bare hands and biting into it go for the drumstick like three you know? year old. yeah <laughs> um so question mm-hmm. question the second follow-up question foghorn leghorn yeah analysis of the uh of the meat makeup of foghorn leghorn if i want to eat foghorn leghorn for thanksgiving well foghorn leghorn is a rooster Yes, yeah, he's not a turkey. Yeah. Looking at Foghorn Leghorn, if I were to get Foghorn Leghorn on my table and have to butcher him, um, I actually think Foghorn Leghorn probably has delicious breasts. Mm-hmm. I think his breasts and thighs both look pretty significant. I think he w- you would have a pretty good time eating both of those. I don't know that his legs would be like especially exciting. Yeah, I would recommend eating Foghorn Leghorn's breasts. The wings look a little, uh, a little scanty. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. Thank you. That's where I'm at on that. Hey, on that weird note, do you want to go to the mid-roll? Sure. Let's go to the mid-roll. Hey, it's the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of November, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need, so by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of our show, you're functionally donating... Six dollars worth of food to people who need it. There's literally no other way to turn zero into six. So if that math is exciting for you, go leave a rating and review of our show. You can read all about what the depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. 
Now that the show has been heavily focused on food for a while, uh, we went back and noticed that most of our existing Apple podcast reviews are pretty outdated and still talk about the show like it's a comedy podcast. So if you've already left a review in the past, maybe take the opportunity to go update it and we'll count that as a new review as well, even if it's technically just an update of an old one, because accurate reviews are more helpful than outdated ones. Also, bear in mind, Teffer and I both use they, them pronouns exclusively. So uh, make sure that you gender us properly in the reviews of the show. If you're someone who finds they them pronouns for individual people complicated and confusing one get over yourself and two talk about us as a group because then you've got they them pronouns for a group so fuck you (laughs) lastly if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode where i talked with eric silver about non-kosher jewish food go cue that up to listen to when you finish with this one it's a really really interesting episode and really fun eric is just absolutely delightful um i think you will really get a kick out of it all right that's enough from the mid-roll how about we get back to talking turkey so, okay, so we just spent a whole lot of time talking about roasting whole turkeys. We did. We did. That's not the only way people eat turkey, though. No, certainly. There's a lot of ways people eat turkey. Yeah. Turkey with mole is actually the national dish of Mexico. Sounds great. Uh, so going back to that, it's been around for thousands of years. Things Mole is a savory sauce made out of chocolate, uh, and it's very good, and I recommend you try that. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about turkey sandwiches, mm-hmm. because I think that's probably the other major way that people consume turkey on a regular basis. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Like, I think about, when I think about alternative turkey products, it's like, yeah, it's the sliced deli turkey, and it's like, maybe turkey bacon is one that i like think about but don't really like personally uh turkey burgers happen a lot mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh you know I, I mean ground turkey is a staple certainly well i feel like ground turkey is maybe slightly less of a staple now than it used to be but mm-hmm. certainly in the diet culture 90s everybody was using ground turkey instead of anything and i i think it's kind of too bad that turkey has this reputation as a uh, Guess what? I'm talking diet food. (laughs) Bet you didn't see this coming. I did. (laughs) Um, I think it's really too bad that Turkey's reputation is largely like, oh, yeah, that's like the meat you want to eat, but more less fat. Yeah. Because, like, turkey is nice in its own right. Um, I do like a turkey sandwich. Like, you want to throw a turkey sandwich, like, go classic, got some mustard, Got some mayo, got some pickles, got some tomatoes, got some lettuce, maybe some honey mustard on that. Ooh, Ooh that's mustard. a good sandwich. Yeah, that sounds great. And and I think turkey deserves more than being sad, dry meatballs because somebody's trying to treat it like pork and you can't really cook it like no. pork. No, you can't. Because turkey, ground turkey especially, gets so yucky so fast if you don't treat it with respect. Yeah. Um, treat your meat with respect. But if you do treat it with respect and you treat it the way it's like you cook it the way it's supposed to be cooked, I just don't. I'm just not sure that ground turkey is the right way to eat turkey. Mm. Uh, but you can make like a nice juicy little turkey burger. Like you, totally. you want to have a nice little ground patty and you don't eat pork or like you don't eat beef. Like you can do turkey. That totally. works. I've had turkey chili. That's really good. Turkey chili is really nice. I really like the way turkey chili is. Yeah. That's the thing. Like. ground turkey i think has its place if you're giving it the opportunity to be juicy still yeah what's your favorite non like holiday roast version of turkey (laughs) 
your your favorite alternative turkey consumption alternative turkey. method. Alternative turkey consumption method. Your favorite ATCM. <laughs> uh, my favorite ATCM, alternative turkey consumption method. Uh, it's probably deli turkey. I, sure. I like a turkey sandwich. I was off turkey for a long time because my parents would get this like herbed turkey that I didn't like. And then I'd have like a dry, you know, sprouted grain bread with some herbed dry turkey on it and it wasn't very good you're making it sound fantastic yeah yeah um this is what diet culture does to us but lately i have been going to the submarine themed subway (laughs) that is near my workplace there is an inexplicable basement subway slash depener that is subway themed there are portholes and and big wheelie doors and uh pictures of scuba divers on the walls it is a bad shit place where I go with my coworker for lunch frequently because they have gluten-free bread. And let me tell you, for those of us with baby tummies, the gluten-free bread at Subway is actually pretty, pretty damn decent. So I've been going, I mean, I miss sandwiches. So I've been going and getting a nice high piled turkey sandwich with all the fixins and some cheddar cheese and a honey mustard on it. And that's like a, that's a pretty damn good lunch. That's a pretty nice lunch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think people shit on Subway a lot, but I actually think Subway really fucking rules. Like Giovanni and I talked about this a little while ago on the episode about subs. I love Subway. I frequently go to Subway for lunch on my shift breaks as well because there's a Subway next door to us. And like, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not bad. So I like a good turkey sandwich. Um, I feel like this is maybe cheating a little bit, but I also really like, like, does this count Thanksgiving leftovers? I think it counts. Like making a soup or really ideally ugh, that like sliced roast turkey sandwich with cranberry sauce and stuffing and gravy and mashed potatoes and you just like put it all in some bread and you eat mm-hmm. that, especially if you've got sourdough. Oh, yeah. so good. I am a rice stuffing person. Sure. I know people are bread stuffing people, but I grew up with brown rice stuffing. And you've had my brown rice stuffing. I love your brown it's rice so stuffing. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I love brown rice. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know this is an episode about rice, but like, damn, brown rice is good. Damn ra- br- brown rice is great. <laughs> Dan brown, brown? Dan, Dan brown, brown makes rice. great rice. Dan Brown makes great rice. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's called brown rice. <laughs> Gotta tell you, brown rice is a national treasure. <laughs> I don't know if Dan Brown wrote National Treasure. I don't think he did. He wrote The Angels and Demons and Nicolas Cage. He's the Da Vinci Code guy. He's the Da Vinci Code. That's right. The other Nicolas Cage movie. Is Nicolas Cage in The Da Vinci Code? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you, I I have never seen Nicolas Cage in a movie. What? Okay, we're going to watch National Treasure. That's going to be our Thanksgiving celebration this year. So we're going to watch Nicolas Cage steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, fun fact. I uh, I think maybe as a kid, I saw The Da Vinci Code and National Treasure too soon, one after the other. So I super fucking mix those movies up in my head all the time. They're really similar, aren't they? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, one of them has Nicolas Cage and the other doesn't for one thing but it's all those like sleuthy para like men do things <laughs> let's uh take a minute here and talk about other sleuthy men do things movies <laughs> sherlock holmes no no, no 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 sherlock holmes it's not no um we're talking thrillers 
you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, yeah. I like Sherlock Holmes, so I'm right. not going to be rude about it. I think you'll like National Treasure, too. It's real silly. He steals the declaration. Well, that's it. That, that These movies are silly. They're movies that take themselves very seriously, but they're very silly. In my opinion, Indiana Jones fits into this as well. Sure. Uh, I, have un- I have unpopular Indiana Jones opinions. Uh, I don't understand how Harrison Ford, an objectively sexy man can play a role where he is shirtless and wielding a whip most of the time with so little sex appeal. I am not attracted to Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, and it pains me to say that. Um, So, Turkey... I'm just still thinking about how you just said you've never seen Nicolas Cage in a movie. I've never seen Nicolas Cage in a movie. We're going to fix that. You made me a... Ghost Rider? (laughs) You you made me a Nicolas Cage birthday card. I did. When we had, like, just become friends. So, Turkey, the Nicolas Cage of meats... Justify that. Justify that right now. Sure, I will justify that right now. Turkey is willing to be in every single thing if you will have it, uh, but somehow it does not actually pick particularly good things to be part of, like (laughs) colonialist history and turkey burgers that are too dry. Okay, it's not the turkey's fault. No, but it's not Nicolas Cage's (laughs) fault either if a script is bunk. (laughs) (laughs) You've won me over. Nicolas Cage and Turkey. Uh, that's the whole the whole description of this episode is just going to be what do Nicolas Cage and Turkey have in common? I'm going to call this episode Turkey, the Nicolas Cage of meats. Absolutely. Um, my favorite ATCM. I am, I, I think, honestly, I think <laughs> this is a very recent thing that we ate. Uh, but the store where I work as a butcher sells a lot of um, like packaged meats as well like we don't just have a counter that you walk up to and buy stuff we also pre-package a ton of stuff so that people can just come in and grab it and go um including a lot of marinated stuff and our marinades are fantastic uh and the other night we had a turkey breast that was marinated in tarragon and i want to say yogurt delicious so good incredible i think tarragon is a like criminally underrated herb absolutely uh and i think that is like immediately taken the spot for me as like my favorite turkey preparation it was delicious it was so good yeah yeah Yeah. it was it was i really like this thing where you work as a butcher yeah (laughs) um back up for me though like uh you know prior to three days ago if you had asked me this question i would have said turkey chili because i've had a lot of really good turkey chili in my life but it's because chili is really hard to not do well Mm. um i mean i'm i'm having throwbacks to the your cincinnati chili phase look there's a look let's not shit on cincinnati chili that's a different thing um how dare you also that was delicious um, i did not like it but like a chili chili like a chili that no one would argue is chili is really hard to mess up yeah. like that that is a tried and true delicious thing and turkey goes really well in it mm-hmm. um so i think that like yeah turkey chili is my like yeah uh one thing we haven't hit on that i feel like we should mention very briefly that neither of us is going to have anything to say about is hunting sure turkey is a very commonly wild hunted bird yeah. i think wild turkey is different from domesticated turkey uh it's one of those things that actually is like like the nice thing with birds is that they're actually pretty sustainable, except for passenger pigeons, which we sure. pretty successfully obliterated. Pretty successfully, they are literally extinct. Anyway, turkey, uh, there's a whole hunting tradition with it that is not something that I can speak to because I'm not a hunter, but it's cool. Yeah. I uh, There was a time in my life when I really wanted to get into hunting. Not because I think that it would be fun to kill animals. Like, I'm going to say that right out the gate. I think that does not, that part of it does not appeal to me. But uh, I, I think that there is. There's something to 
hunting and killing your own meat you know like i don't think i would want to go like hunting for sport but i think i would want to go hunting for like sustenance um and there was a time when i was like really into the idea of doing that so that i could at least have that experience once Mm -hmm. um and i had some friends who uh, patrick i think one of our patrons um he and his brother hunt sometimes and i was like oh i would love to go hunting with you guys and i just never got around to it and i think that that desire has left me a little bit Mm. um now that i'm a butcher and i i get to deal with the you know 12 hours later part um but like i i think yeah there is an appeal to me in hunting your own meat and dealing with it and i think turkey is one of those ones that like something about the idea of hunting your thanksgiving turkey seems really right yeah well i mean so like because i grew up half in rural and half in urban areas like Mm. There's such an urban and rural divide over hunting. Yeah. And it's really funny because, like, when you are in a rural area, people just hunt. Right. Like, like in November, we could not play in the woods. Like, we could right. play in the woods any other time, but not in November because it was deer hunting woods and you right. don't go in there. And, like, we would, like, we would, like, play in hunting boxes because they right. were there. Like, it just is everywhere. People just do it because it is a cheap and easy and sustainable way of sourcing meat and it's a traditional way of sourcing meat and I mean I I think the kind of population we have probably can't support everybody hunting their meat all the time and that's why we have big farms but protecting hunting rights is very important uh, especially because in areas like where we live um, a lot of hunting tradition is indigenous and and is indigenous people um, like there's this whole man this is off topic I was going to mention this just super briefly (laughs) but we have you know vegans and animal rights activists coming after Inuit meat sourcing uh, hunting and fishing traditions when these are people living in communities where a watermelon costs $75 right. uh, and hunting and sourcing your own food is anti-capitalist work mm-hmm. and it's important to protect those rights and not just see it as I think a lot of people think of hunting just as recreational right. uh, but hunting is survival for many 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 of our neighbors and mm-hmm. friends so yeah. Uh, yeah that's my little thing about hunting totally yeah <laughs> the only thing I would add to that is like there is, you know, hunting for sport as a thing that exists, and I think that is something that is kind of shameful. Oh, I, I mean, outlaw fox hunts immediately, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I think like, they might already be outlawed. I don't know. That's British. I do know. Um, I had a friend who had worked as like a nature conservation person in Africa at one point, and was saying that like the hunting that gets done for sport there a lot of the time is for like keeping animal populations. Um, what's the word I'm looking for like controlled yeah. like population control to make sure that like you know an animal that might be dangerous to a neighboring community is not you know going to be too overpopulated like yeah. there there are ways that commercial hunting can be done almost ethically you know mm. um and they there are people who try to do it that way but I think on the whole hunting for sport uh, kind of in in general I would say is kind of not great um but hunting for food and you know sustenance is something that should be allowed and you know i think even celebrated celebrated protected defended it's a it's a really important part of many people's lives that's it yeah yeah well on that note 
thank you so much for listening to this American Thanksgiving special of our Canadian food podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it, all of it's unceded territory anyway. If you want to join the conversation, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod, at Tonsilatni, and at TefferBear. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can head to Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that's exciting for you, go do it at patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod. We also have merch, and you can get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public by hitting the link in the description of this episode. You can, of course, also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode, as well as links to the things that we said we would link to. Last but certainly not least, this show is produced and edited by me, Tom's Latin I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. You I'm October Jones, and Hi, this is... I'm Fish With Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish With Legs. Starring me and my best friend... <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish With Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (sighs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome welcome to to the Gay Gay and Grey Podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. (laughs) 